So for those of you guys who don't know, uh, we typically have this tradition in Anthem that the Sunday somewhere after uh, Christmas, uh, one of the elders usually brings the message and uh, kind of gives the staff a break, uh, so to speak, in that holiday season. So uh, a few weeks ago, we were talking about this. Um, Chris sent a text out to say, you know, which elder, you know, would maybe want to do that. And um, I thought I had a little out um, because um, I texted. I was one of the first ones to respond and said, well, I'm going to be out of town because this was last Sunday. Would have been that Sunday. And Chris quickly responded the, with the offer of trading and saying he would teach last week if I took this week. So here I am. Um, but all joking aside, um, I have had a message that I felt like God has laid on my heart uh, for more than a year uh, that I, he's been teaching me um, and going through. And so um, I trust that today is the day I'm supposed to bring it. And so I trust that hopefully there's even just one of you uh, that the message is for. I know it's been for me over the last year as I've worked on it. Um, a little introduction to me, like Chris said, my name is uh, Neil Morris. Uh, my wife and I, my wife is Hannah, um, we're both actually raised in North Idaho. We're one of those rare um, people um, who actually grew up here. Um, we uh, have been part of Anthem for, I don't even know exactly, I was trying to think about this, about eight or nine years, I believe. Um, I've had the honor to serve on the elder board for, I think, five or six-ish. Um, it's hard to remember sometimes. Um, we have three kids. Uh, two of them are here. Um, Ari and Sam are both um, in high school. And then our oldest is actually um, a sophomore down at Boise State University in Boise. Um, so uh, this message, I want to kind of start out by saying that I really want you guys to try to hear my heart as I share it. Um, and my heart is one of, for love and unity in the church. And um, I would encourage you, um, as always, if someone's bringing a message, uh, to be a Berean. Um, as the scripture says, there's the Bereans who went to the word and double-checked, made sure things that were said were accurate. But I'd ask you to do that if you think something is um, amiss or confirm it. Um, but also, if I say something that pushes a button or makes you uncomfortable, I hope that you would be able to step back and realize that my goal here is church unity. Um, it's love among us. Deal? All right. Um, I need to pray briefly. Father, I do pray that you work uh, through this message, that your Holy Spirit is in this place, you speak through your word and through me, and that you are glorified, Lord, and your work is done. In your son's name, amen. first verse uh, that's kind of core uh, to what I'm talking about here um, is John 13, 34 through 35. And there's going to be a couple of verses I'm going to ask you guys to turn it to. If you have a physical Bible, if you wouldn't mind turning there with me um, or open your phone uh, and turn to that passage. Because um, we're going to kind of back up um, a little bit in this passage as well. But let's start with that passage right there. John 13, 34 through 35. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. 
So what's kind of going on here in the book, and this is why I wanted you guys to, kind of, to turn here. Um, I want to sit on this passage for just a, a couple of minutes. So in chapter 13 of John, you'll see the beginning of that chapter is where Jesus washes the disciples' feet. And this is the beginning of this process of kind of some final teaching that Jesus gives before he's to be crucified, before he's betrayed. In fact, just before this passage we read is right when Judas Iscariot left, okay? Um, so Jesus had just washed his disciples' feet. Um, he's focusing on um, these kind of final teachings that he's going to give. And then this is his message to them just before that is this scripture uh, of, by this all people will know you, that you are my disciples if you love one another. And that love for one another, uh, often we get a lot of definitions of what love means, right? Um, but hopefully through the course of this message, uh, we'll kind of flesh that out and kind of talk about, you know, what is that that Jesus is talking about? So kind of keep your, your finger in your Bible at that point, um, and we'll, we'll come back to there at some point as well. Church unity. Uh, if you grew up in the church like I did, uh, you have heard that concept repeated many, many times, right? We've all heard that concept of church unity. Church unity is always a goal, right? However, like many things we hear over and over, I think we start to lose the importance or significance of those terms we hear over and over. It's often not until something is challenged do we really start to understand how hard sometimes those things can be. Over the last couple of years, I think we can all agree that church unity has been under more stress or attack. Would you guys disagree with me on that? Okay. So where do we get this idea of church unity? Why are we supposed to be unified? In Ephesians 4, 1 through 6, the next passage up there, says this, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. We get this picture of this unity that we have in the body of Christ, uh, through Christ, through the Holy Spirit. The Gospel Coalition defines church unity like this. The unity of the church refers to the union of the people of God in all their various distinctives and expressions bound to God and to one another by the gospel. And they're talking online in the, this uh, site called the Gospel Coalition. They use this idea of unity and diversity. And first off, there's one of those words that can be loaded, right? The term diversity. And I want you to stick with me here. And we're talking about diversity within the body of Christ um, and the things that unify us in the body of Christ. I think as I grew up uh, in the church, uh, I maybe thought about church unity as something that just supernaturally happens when we get saved. That the Holy Spirit just automatically kind of binds us together. And of course, that's partly true, right? We are not going to be unified with each other without the work of the Holy Spirit. However, 
Um, I think I've come to the realization recently in the last couple of years that this unity also takes some work and effort on our part. We can't just sit back and let things happen. We need to have an active role. And that's the case in a lot of our areas of our faith. Just like the process of sanctification and spiritual growth. Even though those things are our spiritual growth is fueled by God, by the Holy Spirit, we still have to take, take steps of active obedience, right? We have to spend the time in the Word. We have to um, spend time in prayer. Otherwise, we're not going to walk, uh, we're not going to grow on our walk with God um, also. We have to choose to perform the spiritual disciplines in our lives if we want to grow spiritually. The Holy Spirit is the one who accomplishes that work of transformation, but we need to be active participants. That's where we get imagery in the Bible of things like run the race. You've got to be active, right, in that process. You've got to run it. You've got to work out your faith with trembling. Faith without works is dead. Go into your closet to pray. Set aside time. Make it a point. These are examples of imagery in the scripture that um, shows our active participation, right? We're supposed to have a response um, to our salvation. And I believe that church unity is the same. I believe church unity is one of these things that we have to work at. It's not something that comes easily. And of course, we also have an enemy, Satan, who loves nothing more than to cause division in the church, right? If he can break the church up and make it ineffective, then he's won a battle in that. So how do we go about working on this? So uh, I think a major part of church unity is to consider the fundamentals or the foundations, the core of what makes us unified. And that brings us to the kind of the core of this message that I feel like God has given me over the last couple of years is this um, concept of citizenship, of our citizenship. And I feel like um, over this last time period, um, God has shown me that our citizenship and where it really lies is key to this concept um, of church unity and just who we are as Christ followers. Um, over the month of December, um, if you guys remember, Chris was speaking out of the book of Philippians. And I think it's interesting that he kind of spoke up through chapters 1 and 2 and really where God kind of gave me this message a while ago was Philippians 3. And so I think it's interesting that we've kind of come um, to that uh, portion of this book as well. Um, so the second point we're going to dwell on a little bit here, Philippians 3.20. If you guys would turn to Philippians 3.20, it's a verse you, I'm sure, are aware of. Uh, we're going to kind of look at the surrounding verses a bit as well. So in Philippians 3.20, Paul says, But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, just for a second, I want to back up for a second about and talk about the book of Philippians in general. Um, Philippians has always been a really um, important book to me and my spiritual walk. Starting clear back in middle school, I had a teacher in middle school. Her name was Mrs. Thornycroft, and uh, she challenged us, I think it was seventh grade, challenged us during the course of the year in Bible class um, to uh, basically memorize the entire book of Philippians. And it seemed like a lot at that age. Um, and we worked through it through the year. Um, and I don't, I can't recite the whole book um, anymore. 
but it developed a love of Philippians and a, a foundation aspect um, to the book uh, that has really stuck with me. Um, I think that Philippians has a lot to say to our world today um, and the state of the church. I think that there's a lot of truth of what he was writing to the church at Philippi uh, that applies to us now. Um, so I'd encourage you guys, if you would, maybe this week, to just work through the book of Philippians in your quiet time. Uh, read through those passages. Ask God to reveal um, that to you in those, uh, in those sections. Um, so remember that Philippians, uh, Paul is writing it from prison. He's in prison, they think, probably in Rome. Um, and so the perspective he's giving in this book, I think, is that's important to remember, and that he's there um, in prison writing this. Prisons of those days were not like prisons we have now in the U.S. Um, and he's writing to encourage um, this um, church at Philippi. And in chapter 3, um, he goes through this, uh, this passage of things in the beginning of chapter 3. It says, finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. It's a very uplifting book, Philippians in general, despite your circumstances. Um, in Philippians, he talks about how he's figured out the secret to being content, no matter what circumstances. Everything's good, everything's bad. He's figured out to be content is to rest in Jesus. All right? um, he talks about in chapter 3, he goes through talking about how he's a Hebrew of Hebrews. Um, he was a persecutor of the church. Um, as a righteousness under the law, he was blameless. But in verse 7, he says, But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. And so we get closer to verse 20. Um, he, uh, if you look just before 20, if we start in verse 17, it says, Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For me, whom I have often told you now, told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame, with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, Stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. So notice he's talking about people that are focusing on earthly things. Do you think he's only talking about people outside of the church? Probably not. So there's probably people in the church of Philippi who are focused on earthly things, things that are here, right? Um, and so he's refocusing them, recentering them. I think it's also interesting, if you look at the next verse in verse 4, it says, I entreat Yodia and I entreat Sinti, I'm probably saying those wrong, um, to agree in the Lord. So he names a couple of people that are disagreeing in the Lord right there. There's some division happening in that church between those two women. And that all falls in this, this passage and the way this um, is tying together and talking about citizenship. Um, throughout church history, you can find other examples of things that led to church divisions, um, both theological and political. Um, and I think the same thing happens now. Um, if you do more searching, you'll find Peter has the same perspective 
on where our citizenship lies. In 1 Peter 2.11, he says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. That concept of sojourner, this isn't our home. This is a temporary place. Our citizenship is not here. When we accept the gift of God, when we get saved, there's a miraculous thing that happens there. We no longer identify primarily as wherever we are on earth. We identify now as uh, members of the kingdom of God, right? Um, a few months ago, um, Dan uh, was speaking, and he mentioned that how in the church, we've got to remember that in the church, we're really not Republicans or Democrats, we're actually monarchists. We have a king, uh, the one true God, is actually our primary focus. But we tend to not do that as people, right? If you look around just humankind in general, we tend to associate ourselves into groups, right? We form clubs, we form associations, we form friendship groups, cliques in some cases. We form all these things that often are really good things, but if you look at them, you tend to see that we start to look quite a bit alike, right? We tend to associate with people who think like us, who maybe look like us, who vote like us, who maybe have all these viewpoints that we kind of align with, right? But I think from what we're looking at in these passages, the church is called to something a little different than that. If we look at Revelation 7, 9, we get a picture that John was shown of heaven and what heaven's going to look like. In Revelation 7, 9, it says, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. Think about that for a second. Imagine that picture in your mind. People from every people, every language. Is it possible for the church here on earth to maybe even be a glimpse or a shadow of that? Maybe we need to actually work at that unity. To remember that we're citizens of a different kingdom. We're just sojourners here, right? This is temporary. Does this mean we don't care about what's happening in the world? Not at all. We have lots of examples of how that is not um, how we're supposed to be. Like James saying, faith without works is dead. We should serve the poor, work for justice. As Chris um, often says in um, Christianity, there's often these, these things that he refers to as beautiful tensions, where there's, we can kind of sit in that tension. Sometimes things aren't super clear-cut. Not everything is super black and white, easy to define. Many things in our faith um, are challenging. In general, that's actually what faith means, right? It means, um, in Hebrews 11.1, 1, it says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. The conviction of things not seen. It means there are some things we don't know, right? We put faith in things that we don't maybe fully understand. And I don't mean that, that in faith in Jesus, but in there's a lot of things um, that are um, things that maybe could have some different viewpoints. 
And to have faith, we rest in that unknown. We need to be okay with some uncertainty in some things, maybe many things. Being able to say, I don't know. To hold some things open-handedly. We sometimes use this concept of some things we hold closed-handedly and open-handedly. Things like Jesus being the Son of God, that's a closed-handed, right? Salvation's only through him, that's a closed-handed. But there's a lot of things that I think we tend to think are closed-handed that if you really come down to it are probably some things we can hold open-handedly and agree to um, still be united in Christ. Uh, my friend Jerry um, uses a, uh, a terminology, uh, kind of this mental picture that I really like uh, that I'll try to explain. Um, he doesn't remember where he first heard it, um, so he's not taking credit for coining the term, but the idea of the shadow of the cross. And if we think of that on the, the day of Calvary and Jesus on the cross, the shadow of the cross means those core things that are the most central to faith in Jesus. Like we were just saying, those close-handed things, the things that Jesus is the Son of God, salvation only comes through him, those types of things. But the shadow is a fairly small area. There's a lot of things we start getting away from there, and we start getting into things that start to divide uh, in the church. So maybe we need to focus a little bit more on those things that are close to the cross, the things that are in the shadow of the cross, the things that unite us, the foundational beliefs, things like Jesus is the Son of God, like I said, he died for our sins and was raised again. Salvation is only through him, through faith. If we start getting away from that, we get into things that maybe aren't as foundational. You know, how do we split doctrine on different things? How do we define is baptism necessary for salvation? Worship styles, speaking in tongues. There's a lot of things, and I'm sure many of you guys could list many, many things. If you think about all the different church denominations we have now, most of those were caused because of splits based on things that I would say are probably outside of that shadow of the cross. So that's kind of uh, a mental picture I want you guys to use as we kind of, uh, uh, kind of move forward here is to kind of refer back to that and, and to think about that. If you um, are looking at something as like, okay, is that something that's really in the shadow of the cross where we need to be? Or is that something that I can hold open-handedly? You guys doing okay? Um, some friends uh, just a couple of weeks ago uh, gave us a book that I just read over the last couple of weeks that I found uh, really pertinent to this message um, and to um, uh, this whole topic. Um, and it's a book called The Space Between Us. And it says, how Jesus teaches us to live together when politics and religion pull us apart. And it was just published in 2020. I would recommend if you guys are looking to dig into this topic a little more, I think she has some really good insight and feedback and uh, the ways that um, things can get divisive in the church um, and how to uh, remain united and um, in there she talks about an analogy and uh, so one of the just backing up a little bit of um, my wife and I's um, story early in our marriage we were part of this really small church and the pastor there always every Sunday time he preached always had an object lesson so he had some sort of physical thing and so I've kind of felt like 
that's what you're supposed to do, right, in a, in a sermon. So this is going to be the object lesson portion. And I've asked a couple of other guys to come up and help me with this. I'm going to have Nathan and Nick come up. And um, as I was uh, preparing for this message and I thought of this um, analogy, um, I, these two guys came to my mind. And there were some reasons, but then as I was thinking about it, and then I realized, wow, all of our names start with N. And I'm not sure if that's part of the reason or not. But um, no, actually, I've known both of these guys a long time. Um, I don't know how long, probably seven, eight years at least uh, for Nick. Um, Nathan and I, um, pushing 30 years, we actually were groomsmen in each other's weddings, which... A uh, little side note, if you want something you really want to tease me about, I actually fainted in his wedding. So, yeah, that happened. So, we've got some history here. And the reason I thought of these guys, and I think that God brought them to my heart, is that in real life, I, we don't agree on everything, right? There's not everything that we agree on. But that's okay, because we've chosen to still be united in Christ, and we know that that's okay, we're focusing on the more important things. Um, there's been times with both these guys I've had to apologize for things I've done or said um, and times that have been, you know, potentially divisive. So that's part of the reason for up here. So now the analogy we're going to use. So the, in this book, is, she brings this up. But she says it actually comes from um, an ancient uh, kind of Jewish belief, particularly in the Hasidic sect, that says that there's this idea that when we're all born, we have this rope connecting us to God but sin cut, severs that rope, okay? And then Jesus, um, uh, the, you know, we can reconnect that um, through our um, walk with God. But um, in the book, she relates that to our relationships with each other as well, right? If we are all unified in, in Christ in the church, we have these ropes that bind us together, right? So um, we're going to kind of use this analogy here. So I'm going to give these guys each an end of the rope. Okay, so the idea here then is there's a rope that connects us um, as Christians to each other, but things can break that rope, right? Um, let's say Nathan tells Nick, if it's not obvious who Nick roots for, Nate tells Nick, man, the Ducks are really a terrible team. I can't believe that anyone would like the Ducks. Okay, or if Nick was to say something about, you know, musicians are all really weird people, you know, I don't understand why people are really that into music, okay? So something can split and sever the rope. We're going to get some more serious things here in just a second, right? The, the way the analogy works, though, is it takes a, a part on both of them to say, you know, I realize, okay, we can work through this. We can kind of get past it. So they both have to have an active role in offering to retie the rope, right? So they're going to come back together. And then if we retie the rope, which, to be clear, is only possible through the Holy Spirit, right? Okay? So they've reconnected, okay? Now, can I get a little more real than just sports and music? You guys can all probably think of some things that have divided the church in the last couple of years, right? Okay? So can I just say some things and just for the sake of kind of talking about it. Okay, you guys all right? Maybe you've heard someone say, 
I just don't see how a Christian could vote for a Democrat. Somebody else might say, well, I don't see how, someone, how a Christian could vote for someone like Donald Trump. You've probably heard those things, right? If we let those kind of things come in, sever the rope, right? But what are the foundations? What are the things in the shadow of the cross? Salvation in Christ, salvation in him alone, okay? Come back together, and they realize... You know, okay, we can have some differences in opinion. Does it mean that they're agreeing? No. But they're staying unified in their faith in Christ, right? What if it's something theological? Well, I really feel like uh, you have to be baptized to be saved. Well, no, I, I believe that, you know, I think a, a baptism is important, but I don't think it's that important. I don't see how you can think about that differently. Okay, so theological reasons sever the rope. Okay, so again, they come back together, Holy Spirit can connect them again to each other, right? Now here's the last part of this analogy. Have you guys noticed anything about their position on the stage as we've been doing this? They're closer, right? This is part of that analogy that... Um, as that happens, and we all can think about a really close relationship, say if you're married or you have people in your family, you work through hard things with your spouse, right? And you probably notice over time as you work through those hard things, you actually do get closer. The same thing applies with our fellow believers as well. If we can find common ground, we can find where we connect, where we find connection with each other, we will, I believe, be drawn closer to each other as well. Okay? Again, not that they agree on everything, but that's that unity and diversity, right? We have, a diverse, we have diverse opinions. We have diverse thoughts. And that's okay. We can, we can discuss those things. If we can start on a foundation of where we are foundationally in Christ, then we can talk about those things and have a discussion, right? But not let those things divide us as Christians. You with me? Okay. Thank you, guys. Ephesians 6.12. I think this is also a really key piece in remembering uh, this whole process. Um, in Ephesians 6.12, uh, it says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. I think it's important to remember that with people that we disagree with, our true enemy is not that person. Our true enemy is Satan, it's the spiritual realm, it's outside of that person. And it's pretty easy, I think, um, uh, to start to stereotype people. Um, it's easy to um, start to categorize people into they. Well, they are all like this, they are all like that. And I think it's important as Christians to remember our true battle is against the spiritual realm that those people are people that Jesus died for as well. If they have faith in Christ, we're united with them um, in Christ as well. And remember where our battle actually lies and not with those other people. Um, in preparation for this message, I've, I've thought about a lot of different things God's brought to my mind. Um, and um, 
I know that one of my weaknesses is pride. And in that, it often comes out, I um, have spent probably close to a quarter of my life studying um, science, human health, um, and I, for those of you who don't know, I may have been a little obvious because I tend to revert to my old days of being a teacher. Um, if my voice, my kids always give me a bad time of turning on teacher voice. Um, but the, you know, knowing a lot about one thing can come out as pride. And I just want to say if at any point um, in these last couple of years I have hurt any of you um, through things and ways that I've been prideful, I ask your forgiveness. Um, and I want to be unified with you guys in Christ. Um, I think in many of us, if we really come down to it, I think one of the core things we all struggle with is pride. We know we're right. We know what we know what we know, and we're going to stand on it. But maybe let's try to focus a little more on humility and on what other people, the, the value in other people as well, and understand that there's some differences, um, and we can be okay in that. We can be unified on what's in the shadow of the cross, right? Um, love for one another. If we can put the um, two verses back up, I don't know if it looks like our screen might not be working, it looks like. But I had you guys hold your finger in uh, the John and the Philippians. Uh, we're going to kind of look at those again one last time here. But um, here in general at Anthem, let me remind you of some things that Chris says often. Um, we're all about Jesus, right? It's one of our core statements. That's, again, we're trying to focus on that core thing, the shadow of the cross. We're all about Jesus, all about him and what he's done. We want to focus on what we're for rather than what we're against. We don't spend a lot of time talking about things we're against. We're trying to focus on what we're for. We're for the gospel. We're for spreading the message of God's good word. Okay, um, let's focus on in this new year, so this is near the beginning of the year, right? I'm not a big person on um, New Year's resolutions, but in this new year, can we agree to commit to love one another? Okay, looking at John 13, 35, I think in that passage where it says, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. I've had this picture, I think, in that what Jesus was getting at is that he's talking about non-believers recognizing that they belong to Christ, right? And I think that someone should be able to say, wow, those two people are completely different. They don't agree on all these other things, but I can see that they love each other in Jesus. And I believe that's supposed to be a testimony of the work of the Holy Spirit in their lives, right? And that should be a testimony to the world that we're legit, we're who we say we are, that we love God, right? That unity and that diversity. Um, in this new year, let's focus on the big things. Let's work on retying the ropes between us. Let's start conversations with the gospel rather than focusing on the things outside of the shadow of the cross, the peripheral issues. This isn't going to be easy. In fact, I think this is the harder path. It's easier just to divide ourselves into people we agree with, right? But again, going back to, I think that God has called us to that harder path the harder path of working through things together. Just like a marriage is a hard path. Staying together as believers is a hard path to stay connected. 
if we work towards this, I feel like the Holy Spirit can really use us as his body. We use the analogy, you know, in Scripture where it talks about we're the body of Christ to do his work. We each have our own role. It talks in Scripture, you shouldn't despise another part of the body, right? Again, we're talking about that unity of the, of the body, even when it's very different. Okay, our goal, living in that unity and diversity, our goal to reach the lost, to make disciples of all nations, have a positive impact on the city we're in. I think it starts with us being unified as a church. And that's, again, back to Philippians 3.20. Remember, our citizenship is in heaven. This is a temporary place. This isn't our ultimate home. Doesn't mean you can't care about those things. It's just you got to have them in the right priority. Um, Dan was texting me with me this week about this message, and he was reminding me of this idea of how do we describe ourselves? Whatever profession you're at, um, if we say you're a teacher, well, are you a Christian teacher or are you a teacher Christian? Are you a teacher first and then a Christian? Or are you a Christian first and then a teacher? Think about that in politics. You can still have a political viewpoint on something, but your overarching theme has got to be Christ. Theology, we're united in Christ in what we're together on, what we are united on. And then we agree that some other things we can maybe discuss, okay, and have differences of opinion on. So today we're going to share communion. And um, I thought it, it worked out really appropriately that, that's, uh, that today is the day we're going to do that. Um, and uh, and it, because of the passages that we're going to uh, look at for that as well. And uh, here at Anthem, we do communion once a month. And um, when Chris asked me if we could do this and I could just lead into it, um, it, came, it became apparent that this really ties into the same message. Okay, so um, if you turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 11, uh, verses 23 through 29, I'll read the passage first that's the normal, one of the normal passages we use for communion. So in 1 Corinthians 11, 23 through 29, it says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus Christ, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever, therefore, eats the bread or drinks of the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. Notice that Paul is addressing some things there. Um, that there were some aspects of how they were doing communion of that church in an unworthy manner, right? And notice he uses the term discerning the body, okay? So he's using that analogy of the body of Christ, okay? So what's interesting is I was looking at this um, just this week as we were preparing. If you back up just a few verses ahead of time, you see something that Paul is addressing in this passage up in verses 17 through 20. But in the following instructions, I do not commend you, because when you come together, it's not for the better, but for the worse. 
For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear there are divisions among you. And I believe it in part, for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. When you come together, it's not the Lord's Supper that you eat. And we could get into the nitty-gritty of exactly what was going on, but Paul is addressing that there was divisions in that church. And he's addressing those divisions in light of communion. So I think communion uh, is something that we can view as this time, this opportunity to look at this time of sharing a meal. And, I, and we could also go into a whole study of, of how communion is meant to be more than just some you know, a little cup and a wafer. It's supposed to be a meal. It's supposed to be so much more than just what this is, even though we do this in remembrance of, of God together now. But it's supposed to be this idea of this family sharing a meal together, right? And in light of this, I, I think of the words of Jesus in Matthew 5, uh, 22 through 24, that says, But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Could we maybe look at, we don't have the temple we go to anymore, but could we look at potentially communion could be one of those times where we're coming to lay ourselves down and remember what Christ did, right? It's like coming to the altar in that way. We're remembering what Christ's sacrifice meant. And maybe today the Holy Spirit's reminding you of someone you need to be reconciled with to retie that rope. Maybe he's asking you not to participate in communion today until you do that. Let's focus on our shared citizenship together under the shadow of the cross. Now, one quick side note, we know that just like with Nick and uh, Nathan up here, they both had to be an active participant, right? And sometimes we, we hit that with people that are not um, willing to retie the rope with us, but that we still have our responsibility, right? So um, just keep that in mind that we have our responsibility, but there is another person involved, and we all, I'm sure, have had relationships where we've tried, and I want to give you that peace in that, that that's our step, right? That's our step is to take that step, try to be reconciled. doesn't always work um, uh, with that person. It depends on the person, depends on that circumstance, um, but can we have that be our goal? Can we have that be our, our uh, vision of this year? Um, also, I think it's interesting, just one quick note about communion, that first communion. Think about who was there at that table when Jesus shared the first communion. You had a bunch of people with a bunch of very different beliefs, all the way from Simon the Zealot to Matthew the tax collector, which if you dig into that a little bit, is about as different politically as you could get in that day but they were at that table together um, sharing that meal uh, with Jesus. Let's work to carry on that example. Um, some logistics of how we do communion, if you guys haven't been here for communion um, before. Um, we do, like I said, we do this monthly. Um, this communion is for all believers, um, all, everyone who has accepted Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Uh, with, as far as kids, we leave that decision up to parents. Um, the way we have it logistically set up is we have, um, I believe, five, uh, six tables. Um, there's three up front and three round tables in the back where we have the elements. 
they're a stacked cup. So you just take one cup, on the bottom is the wafer and on the top is the juice. The way we do this um, is you, during the song as they start to play, when you feel ready, when you've kind of had time with God, you can go get the elements, you take them back to your seat and you do communion with you and your family um, when you're ready to do that, okay? Um, just if anyone is concerned, all of the wafers are gluten-free as well. Can I pray for us? Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for your word. Father, thank you for the work you've done in all of our hearts. Thank you for the work you're continuing to do. Father, we know we're not done here. We're in this process until we're together with you, and we look forward to that day. Until then, we need your help, Lord, to to focus on the things that are the most important. Focus on the things in the shadow of the cross. Focus on the things that unite us rather than divide us. Father, we pray your Holy Spirit does that work. We pray that through that, your body is functioning, that you use us to accomplish your work, to reach all people, that all people will know the, uh, the gospel and that people will be saved and come to know you, Lord. We pray you retie those bonds and relationships that are broken. We pray that you give us a new perspective, a new um, passion for our, where our true citizenship lies. And as we go into this year, we pray that we focus on that aspect. And we just pray you use us. We pray as we take communion now that this would be a symbol of remembering what you did for us, your blood spilled, your body broken. And we pray that that would be of unity, a point of um, connection of us as believers, Lord, as we go forward. In your son's name.